But why don't we start with the word of prayer and let's ask God to bless us with the Holy Spirit. I know he has much to communicate to us. Let's pray, church family. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for being our God, for being so good to us. And Lord, as we worship you in the hearing and acceptance of your word, we pray and ask God that you would lead us higher and higher. God, our prayer is that we would see Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right. Now, you have to pardon me. I'm going to have to take off my slippers. I didn't have time to get one of those hooked Indian shoes. And so, uh, slippers are, was my substitute. All right, church family. The name of the sermon, once it comes up there, is called, You're on the Stand. You're on the stand. And this is going to be an exciting sermon because you're going to have the privilege to be able to engage the prosecutors. About halfway during this message, or halfway into this message, we're going to be having a mock trial. And the witness is going to be you. And you're going to have four prosecutors, we call them the dream team, and they are not the easiest prosecutors in the world. They have a variety of backgrounds, and they're very intense. The name of the first prosecutor is Anel Kanda, J.D. We have Ted Bays, J.D. We have Dr. Ed Holm, J.D. And we also have the most fierce prosecutor in this church, Chris Nelson. <laughs> And so this is going to be an exciting time. But we need to understand, understand some things when it comes to this kind of engagement. God does not want us to be proud. God does not want us to be boastful. God wants us to be humble and trusting in him. Can you say amen to that? You know, I turned 34 years old in the month of June. But let me just tell you, uh, praise the Lord. So, so when I turned 34, I was actually, I never forgot the day, I was going over my past, and I thought to myself, I've lived for 34 years, but in the 34 years of my life, I feel like I have experienced some unusual things. Just in the short 34 years of my life, I have seen revolutions. I have seen counter-revolutions. I have seen leaders come to the throne, and I have seen leaders dethroned. I have seen entities fall apart. Entities come together. I've seen an entire nation change its very atmosphere because of terrorism. I have seen a lot of things in my short life. And ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you this. We are living in some unusual and strange times. And if there ever is a time for God to, uh, God to bless his people with understanding about prophecy, about Christian living, about having a connection with Jesus, it is now. Can you say amen to that? In our world today, there are a lot of strange things happening, and God is calling us to give a, the trumpet a certain sound. He wants us to be able to share the message as it is in Jesus so that people may be brought closer and closer to him. Amen? And this sermon, hopefully, is going to help achieve part of that. You know, I was actually reading the book Desire of Ages about John the Baptist. The core of his message was this. Prepare the way for the what? 
the Lord. And as Seventh-day Adventists, the biblical message is one that is very similar. Prepare the way for who? The Lord. But what's interesting, the book Desire of Ages tells us that when John the Baptist was actually saying, prepare the way for the Lord, Ellen White says something so powerful. She said, Satan feared for his kingdom. Think about this. Here's probably one of the most mightiest angels ever created. And because of one man's ministry who was saying, prepare the way for the Lord, Satan feared for the safety of his kingdom. And there's nothing he doesn't want more than to see God's people move away from the core of this beautiful message that Jesus is coming back to save us. Can you say amen to that? This world is world with a world full of sorrow and pain, and there is a bomb that God is offering to heal us. The bomb of heaven. Amen? And this healing medication that comes straight from God's throne that isn't man-made will bring healing to our hearts. God wants us to understand we're living in very unusual times, and he wants us to share the message of God's love with this world. Amen? But a lot of things come up. A lot of questions come up, and that is, wait a minute, how in the world do I share God's message with this world? I want you to take your Bible. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 22. I'm going to share something so powerful, a powerful verse that will blow your mind away. God has a high and holy calling for many people here, for all people, but not all people will accept that calling. He says something so powerful in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22. I never forgot when I read this, it blew my mind away. Proverbs chapter 22. And let's go to the last verse of Proverbs, chapter 22. Don't forget, Proverbs is after the book of Psalms. Proverbs chapter 22. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. Go all the way to verse 29. Look what the Bible says right here. Do you see a man who what? Excels in his work. Now watch what the result will be. He will stand before who? Kings. Notice the cause and effect. The book of Proverbs was written by the wisest man, Solomon. He says this. Do you see someone who excels in this work or in their work? The word excel is actually the word diligent. They put hard work into achieving what God wants them to do. Look what the result will be. They will stand before who? Kings. In fact, look at what it says next. He will not stand before unknown men. When you take a good look at the pattern of Scripture, God's men and women have stood before the mightiest people in this world to bear a message of God's love, mercy, and judgment. Think about Esther, who stood before the king. Think about Daniel, who stood before Nebuchadnezzar. Think about John the Baptist, who stood before Herod. Think about Jesus, who stood before Pilate. Think about uh, Moses, who stood before Pharaoh, and Joseph, who stood before Pharaoh. Over and over again, the theme of Scripture has been when God's people are consecrated to him, he will lead them through his providences to the most unusual circumstances to bear a message of God's love love to this world. Can you say amen to that? But ladies and gentlemen, look what Proverbs says. Do you see a man who is diligent in his work? Now that's very important. God does not want us to be spiritually lazy. Amen? And you're not accountable for anybody else's work but your own. 
A lot of times people are thinking about, well, that person is not doing this. This person is not doing this. God wants you to be focused on what you're doing. Can you say amen to that? I never forgot what Bill Liversidge said one time. He was talking to one church member, and the church member was saying, we need revival in the church. Bill Liversidge said, all right. He took a piece of chalk. He drew it around the man, and he says, when revival takes place in that circle, revival will take place everywhere else. Amen? The place where God wants us to start is with our own heart. And if we're throwing our heart into the work of God, God through his providences will lead you to bear a mighty message for this world. The Bible says he will stand before kings, before rulers of this world, to share a message of God's love. And by the way, you don't have to have a theology degree to do that. Amen? Amen. Think about Moses. His qualification was he was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. Think about John the Baptist. What was his education? He got his PhD out in the woods. His only teacher was the Holy Spirit. But as he became more and more consecrated, God could lead him through his providences to bear a message to the most mightiest men of this world. Ladies and gentlemen, nations have risen and fallen. Nations have changed, have been impacted by the messages that God's people have been given to this world. It is that important. It is that important. Can you say amen to that? That important. Like Martin Luther, we may may be called to bear a mighty message for this world. Now, when it comes to this nation, James Madison, in 1787, stood before the Constitutional Convention. James Madison's considered the father of the Constitution, considered somebody who helped craft the Constitution. Now, what's very interesting is when he stood before this convention, he took everybody in the convention to a Bible passage. Take your Bible. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah chapter 33. And you're going to be so blown away by this. Isaiah chapter 33. James Madison... Father of the Constitution. And here he is, he's presenting before the pioneers, the leaders of this mighty nation, the rule of government, the best way to ensure freedom of religion, freedom of state, civil liberties, to ensure that this nation would be a place of freedom. He took that convention, those people, to Isaiah 33, and he read from this passage, Isaiah 33, go all the way. Are we all there? This is one of the times that my memory has actually failed me. I, <laughs> I guess I'm failing, huh? Okay. Okay, Isaiah 33, and can someone hand me my cell phone real quick? Sorry, I keep my notes on here too, you guys. Okay. It is Isaiah 33, verse 22. I was on this right chapter. He presented this. Now pay attention. This is very powerful. Isaiah 33, verse 22. For the Lord is our what? Judge. The Lord is our what? Lawgiver. The Lord is our what? King. You want to know why that was super important? The Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our king. What do you notice about those three components about the ministry of God? And why is it important to our constitution? I'll read that one more time. The Lord is our lawgiver, 
The Lord is our judge, and the Lord is our king. Exactly. What you find is the system of the American government. The Lord is our lawgiver. What he was presenting was the legislative branch of our government. The Lord is our king. He was actually presenting the executive branch of our government. And then he says, the Lord is our judge. He was presenting the judicial branch of the government. Can you say amen to that? The Constitution was based upon this verse. The government that we now are under, the nation that we live under, is based upon those three branches of government. Judicial, executive, and legislative. And that was based upon the principle of Scripture in Isaiah 33, verse 22. You have the executive branch of our government that would execute laws that are made by the legislative branch which is like Congress and the Senate, which would draft laws and then would be interpreted by the judicial aspect of our government. And so when you take a good look at what a judge does or what he's supposed to be doing, he is supposed to be interpreting the laws of the land. Now, why is that very remarkable? Because Jesus says something so powerful to his disciples, telling them what the future would hold. Look what it says in Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as what? Serpents and harmless as what? Doves. But beware men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for whose sake? For my sake. Hopefully it's not for your own sake. That usually means you're in trouble, right? But it's for God's sake you know you're standing in the midst of righteousness. Look what he says as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who what? Speaks in you. But watch what else is said in Mark chapter 13, verse 9. There's a little bit more detail. But watch out for yourself, for they will deliver you up to councils. You will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and who? kings for my sake and for a testimony to them and the gospel must be first preached to all nations but when they arrest you and deliver you up do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak but whatever is given to you in that hour speak that for it is not you who speak but the who the holy spirit now jesus isn't saying don't gather up scripture don't understand biblical truth what he is actually saying is something else He's not saying, don't study your Bibles. What he is saying is, in that hour, when you are brought to share a message for this world, before great leaders, he says, at that time is not the time for you to just think to yourself, man, I need to think of a good speech to give to this brother or sister. The Bible is saying, when you are in that circumstance, the things that God has taught you, God will put it together, and when it comes out of your mouth, it will be a testimony to them. Can you say amen to that? Look what he says in Luke 21, talking about end-time events. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before who? Kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. The Bible says in Philippians, the things that have happened to me have led to the furtherance of the gospel. Through unusual situations, God may bring you to share a message for people. Every time I go out in town, I always think to myself, whenever I'm doing my business, is God wanting me to be a witness? Is God wanting me to share? 
I want to be always ready for the things that God has for me. So every time I go into town, I think to myself, always in the back of my mind, God may use me as his witness. I need to be open and aware of what he's doing around me. Amen? I went to the fruit yard, that little store yesterday that's on Gear Road. Thank you. And I was there, and I was with some friends, and I hear these people talking, and they were like, oh, she got baptized? Are you serious? And I was like, all right, it's time for me to intrude in this conversation. And so I, I said, who got baptized? And they said, somebody who works here. I go, well, what's wrong with her getting baptized? And I said, then I immediately begin to think, I wonder why. And I said, oh, was she Catholic? She said, yes. And she became a Christian. And I said, you know what's really cool about that is that if that person is seeking after Jesus, you can't, you can't blame them. And I had some glow. I was able to give that to them. And I said, the Bible says if any man seeks after them with his whole heart, he will find them. Ladies and gentlemen, always be aware that when you're just going out into town in the daily course of intervention or of just what's happening in life, God may use you as his witness, but be aware and be willing to speak. He will speak through you. Can you say amen to that? And this is very important for us to understand. However, however, there are three things that I read from the Spirit of Prophecy. Warnings. Not just warnings. Actual things that will take place in the future describing Adventists when they get up on stage to share a witness. Three things. Three sad things that are going to happen. And as we take a good look at this, the reason I bring this up is because God is warning us. Don't make the same mistake these individuals are going to make in the future. Here they are. The first mistake is the PowerPoint's not working. We'll get that up. All right, I'm going to interpret those hand gestures as keep going, right? We'll go back to that. All right, take your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Look what the Bible says right here. Two principles that God wants us to understand that if we are called on the stand to be a witness, but not just on the stand, it could be at the grocery store, it could be at the supermarket, it could be on the street, but these principles God wants us to understand. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Now look what the Bible says right here. It's very powerful. Are we all there? Page 1,164. All right. But sanctify the Lord God in your what? Hearts and always be ready to give a what? A defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with what? Meekness and what? Fear. Notice what the scripture is teaching here. Peter, this is big mouth Peter who's talking. A converted big mouth Peter. And Peter says something to believers. He says this, but sanctify the Lord God where? In your hearts and always be ready to give a what? To give a what? A defense of what? You're not looking at the scripture, are you? Give a defense of the what? Of the hope that is in you with what? Meekness and what? 
fear. The Bible says these principles right here, it says this, always be ready. In other words, always have your mind ready to share something. God wants you to share. And if you're following Jesus every day, ladies and gentlemen, you will always have a testimony to share. If you're always following Jesus every single day, you will have some kind of testimony to share. And this is very important for us to understand because God wants to use our testimonies to reach other people. But this says, always be ready. Always be ready to give a defense of the what? Hope that is in you. Ladies and gentlemen, as Seventh-day Adventists, we're really good about telling people the world is going to end. Amen? We're really good at the doomsday stuff. But oftentimes, we fail to bring out the hope. Right? We fail to bring out the advantages of following the Bible. We fail to bring out the beauty and that which attracts people to the Bible. And this is very important for us to understand. God wants us to present hope to people. Amen? And if we're not witnessing with the, without the framework of hope, we're presenting what the Pharisees and Sadducees were presenting. Amen. God wants us to present hope to this world. And do you know where you find that hope? Jesus. You find that hope in the Bible. And as you share these beautiful truths, God will bless you, ladies and gentlemen. But the other thing I want you to understand is this. The Bible says to answer, to give an answer of the hope that is in you with what? Meekness and what? Everyone loves the first part of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But what people don't like is the second part. With meekness and fear. About a couple days ago, I was talking to Pastor Scott about something I experienced. I was watching this YouTube video. It was getting a lot of hits, and it was of this politician. You may know who I'm talking about. And this politician has a confrontation with this guy at a bakery. And as they're getting each other's face, the politician puts his finger in his face and says, you can't judge me, my God judges me. And they were just yelling and arguing and fighting and just pointing fingers right in the face. It almost looked like they were about to have a fisticuffs right there. Eventually, he walks away. And I watched that one night. The next morning, I was reading about Jesus, how he stood before Herod, how he stood before the Sanhedrin, and my heart was so blown away. You want to know why? Because when Herod saw Jesus, he saw a man who was so humble and so meek not somebody who was loud and boisterous, who could defend the faith. What he saw was somebody whose eyes were on God and nothing could shake this man. Ladies and gentlemen, we're really good at knowing the truth. We're really bad at communicating the truth. And it's easy to become critical and it's easy to become angry when we're presenting these things and defensive, but God wants us to learn the lesson of meekness and humility, which is oftentimes the lessons that no one wants to learn, right? God wants us to learn the lessons of humility, and by the way, the only person's humility you're responsible for is the pastor's. You're responsible for my humility, 
No, you're not responsible for my humility. You're responsible for your own humility. Right? Amen. Right, Daniel? I like leading you out to that. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to understand something, that when humility takes place in our heart, it will be the most powerful witness. I am so touched by humble people, and that speaks more to me than argument or words. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus possessed humility, and he possessed this gentleness that the world could not refute. A loving and lovable Christian is the greatest argument for Christianity. Amen? Amen? To be loving and to be what? Lovable. Are you a lovable person? Your spouse may say no, but that can change, right? God wants you to learn the lesson of being loving and a lovable person. I was reading about Nebuchadnezzar. You know King Nebuchadnezzar? The Bible says in Daniel chapter 4, essentially his people feared him. But when he is converted, the Bible actually says in Daniel chapter 4 that his advisors went to him. They were then drawn to him all of a sudden. Daniel chapter 1, he's trying to kill them. But in Daniel chapter 4, when he's converted, they were drawn to him again. Ladies and gentlemen, when our hearts are touched with the fire of God, we don't have to worry about people getting the message. They will come to us, and God will use you as an instrument. But this is the hard work that God wants to do in each and every person's heart. I said this during prayer meeting. I want to repeat it. Insecurity is loud. Confidence is quiet. Insecurity is loud. Confidence is quiet. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to be a blessing to this world. Amen? Amen. Now, we're just going to end with that PowerPoint. And what we're going to do right now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's a little late right there. <laughs> All right. We're going to actually start our court case right now. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to be calling the Dream Team prosecution up. And they're going to come over there. I'm going to also call up my bailiffs. And the deacons, if they can begin moving the rest of this stuff right now. What we're about to begin is a trial. Seventh-day Adventists have been charged with being criminals. That's you. You will be the witness in this trial. And this will be an opportunity for you to present the truth as it is in Jesus with meekness and fear. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I am not going to go up there with those mean prosecutors slash persecutors. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, your testimony may be the testimony that saves some of them. Amen. Bailiff? Ladies and gentlemen, before we get started, we need to leave, uh, lay some ground rules. First rule. Answer only the question that is asked. Second rule. You have 90 seconds in which to answer the question. So please stay on topic. We have four prosecutors and hundreds of defendants. Each of you 
will sit in judgment today. Are you ready to give an answer? I would like to call the first prosecutor to give the first question. When the prosecutor asks the question, if you would like to answer the question, raise your hand. I will recognize you, ask you to come to the microphone and answer the question. Thank you. Honorable Judge, Jerry, thank you so much. My name is Anel Kanda, graduate Jesuit College, Georgetown University. And I've been very appalled by Seventh-day Adventists recently. I've been hearing so many descriptions upon what a Seventh-day Adventist actually is. Would somebody please tell me what in the world is a Seventh-day Adventist? If you would like to answer that question, please raise your hand. What is a Seventh-day Adventist? Sir, would you please come over to the microphone? Take your place on the stand. State your first and last name, please. I'm not used to this. My name is Royce Sappenfield. The question has been asked, what is a Seventh-day Adventist? You have 90 seconds. A Seventh-day Adventist is a person who believes in the second coming of Jesus Christ and the seventh-day Holy Sabbath that God began in the, in the work of, week of creation on the seventh day. He also is a person who believes in the total Bible, not just parts of it. He also is a person who looks to Jesus as his Savior. He prays to Jesus daily and asks for guidance ask for help to be a witness to others. Thank you. Prosecutor, do you have any follow-up questions? Yes, I do. <laughs> I would like to ask another question of the witness, Roy Sappenfield. Tell me why you are a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist because back in the 1960s I found Jesus as a person as a God as a Savior that could change my life and I witnessed the changes in my life when I began to embrace him and his teachings thank you you may take your seat I'd like to call the next prosecutor to the microphone to ask the next question. All right, I have a question for Seventh-day Adventists out there. My question is, if there's any one thing that summarizes what a Seventh-day Adventist is, what is it? All right, you've heard the question. If there is one word that summarizes what a Seventh-day Adventist is. Please indicate that you would like to answer the question by raising your hand. Yes, sir, you may come to the microphone. Please 
State your first and last name. My name is Damon Sappenfield. Welcome, Damon. You've heard the question. Objection, Your Honor. The witness is related to the last witness. (laughs) Are you saying I've been coached? (laughs) Objection overruled. Please answer the question. If there is one word to summarize a Seventh-day Adventist, what would that word be? A surrender of self. Thank you. That was more than one word. Um, If there was one word, Selflessness. Excuse me. If there was one word that summarizes a Seventh-day Adventist, what would that word be? Selflessness. Thank you. You may take your seat. Is there another individual out here that would like to come to the stand and share with us one word that summarizes what a Seventh-day Adventist is? Don't be afraid. All right, back there. Young lady, if you would please come to the microphone. State your first and last name. Remember, we are answering only the question that is asked. Vanita Markison. Are you related to the last witness? No, I'm not. All right. You heard the question. If there was one word to summarize what a Seventh-day Adventist is, what would that word be? Christian. Thank you. You may take your seat. Is there another individual out there that would like to come? Yes, sir. Please come to the microphone and state your first and last name. Judge? Uh, The prosecution has a request, and that is, if you could bang the gavel a little lighter, it's hurting Ed's ears. Thank you. Is that better? All right. First and last name, please. Alex Rodriguez. You've heard the question. What is your answer? Love. Thank you. You may be seated. Could we have the next question, please, from the prosecution? On September 11, 2011, our world changed considerably to the point where the security of our nation depended on us limiting some of the freedoms that have been available. And I'm wondering how we should interpret this. It says, no man can serve two masters. It seems like we're asking for a division here by having this group of Christians having another master. And I'm wondering if this is not a dangerous thing. So I would like someone to defend this text on who their master should be. All right. Who should your master be? If you would like to answer that question, please indicate by raising your hand. Who should your master be? I'm Scott. We have a a hand back there. Yes, lady in the uh, white, I believe. Could you please come to the front? The white blouse, yes. 
Right back there, the hand that was up. Right back there. Yes, no, no, not Tom. There was a lady behind you, I believe. Is Barb, did you have your hand up? You didn't? Uh, Tom, did you have your hand up? There was a hand up back there. And, and, uh, so, sir, would you please come to the microphone? Thank you. <laughs> I hesitate to ask you to move a little faster. <laughs> Would you please state for the record your first and last name? <clears throat> Thomas Herring. Thomas, you have 90 seconds to answer the question. Who should your master be? We only have one master, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Is there a follow-up to that? Don't you think that's a very dangerous situation to be in, everyone having their own master? Everyone has their own master. That's a dangerous place to be. Should you be your own master? No, we shouldn't be our own master. We only have one master. You seem very determined. You may take your seat. Is there another person that would like to answer the question, who should your master be? We have a hand back there. Please, sir, if you will come to the microphone. You're moving just fine, sir. Thank you. Thank you for sitting towards the front of the church. State for the record your first and last name, please. Coda Howell. Mr. Howell, who should your master be? Um, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you consult with the former witness? With who? With who? The former witness. I'm sorry, I didn't so, hear you. Mr. Thomas Harkin. Uh, Th- no, I didn't even know he was here today. Hey, Thomas you. Herring. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Thank you. You may take your seat. I'd like to call the next prosecution, uh, prosecutor to the uh, stand, please. Uh, Prosecutor Chris Nelson here, graduate of University of California at Berkeley, the greatest minds in the world. (laughs) I have studied a little bit about you people, the Seventh-day Adventists, and I understand that you guys are called the people of the word. So we will challenge you from your word. In Revelation, the Bible, the, the book that you guys do a lot of these meetings, and I see them on billboards at Revelation. This is in the first chapter, verse 10. John says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The first witness said that you guys keep the Sabbath of the Jews, and it says, I was on the Spirit on the Lord's day. Everybody knows the Lord's day is Sunday. Can somebody please answer why you go on Saturday? If you would like to answer the question, please raise your hand. Yes, sir. Right back there in the kilt. 
Could you please come to the stand? State your first and last name for the record. Uh, objection, Your Honor. The yes, witness is not dressed appropriately for the courtroom. Order! State for the record your first and last name, please. Well, it sounds a lot different up here, doesn't it now? My name is Jim Worrell. And I'll answer your Excuse question. Excuse me, Jim. Thank you for your name. Could you please answer the question? The Lord's Day is the seventh day. You look in your Bible, boy, oh, it says the Lord created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested. And in the Bible it also tells us that thou shalt. So we got lots of them. We got four of them for God and six of them for man. And the fourth commandment of the Bible says, Thou shalt remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. For in six days God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested and he made it holy. And that's what the Sabbath is. Not everyone believes it. It was changed by a man to the Sunday, to the first day of the week. Look at your calendar, boy. Do you have a follow-up for that? I'm trying not to be blinded by his knees. <laughs> Order! Order! At least I got the legs for it. And, uh, <clears throat> okay. I've heard you guys are a believer in the Bible. You're a believer in the Sabbath, that Jesus Christ is your master. Here is the words of Jesus. I know that because it's in red here. Mark 2, verse 27. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, which implies that... You could do anything you want to do on that day. What do you have to say about that? The Lord rested, and we rest in His, in his glory. And we, and we praise, and, and, and but we praise and come together as one family on that day. And it also says we don't create. The Lord stopped creating. He rested. And that's what we should be doing as well, boy. Ah, so Thank you, sir. Thing. You may take your seat. The follow-up question is finished. Only one follow-up question. Please sit down. To ask for a female. We've please, been told us. Please sit down, <laughs> sir. You may take your seat. Order in the court. Let's please come back to our first prosecution. Where's my bailiff? All right. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank, especially my. Dream Team right here, you guys are doing an excellent job. Um, would like to state that ever since the rebuilding of America, with help from the Roman Church system, that Seventh-day Adventists have been committing civil disobedience in that they are defying the National Sunday Law that has been set up. How can Seventh-day Adventists justify the breaking of this law when even their own manual says in Romans chapter 13, let every soul be subject to governing authorities. Can they please justify this kind of disobedience? Preferably, a woman would be preferable. Thank you. You may 
take your seat. Again, the question has been asked, how can a Seventh-day Adventist disobey authority when the Bible itself states that we should obey the authorities? If you would like to answer to that question, please raise your hand. Yes, we have a hand back there. I believe it was a former witness. You uh, may come to the stand. Please. Objection, Your Honor. We would like to have a brand new female witness. The prosecution is requesting that. Request sustained. Is there another witness that would like to answer the question? We have a hand back there. Please, could you come to the stand, please? Thank you. It annoys me that people sit so far back in church. How much faster things could run if everybody were down at the front of the church. <laughs> Please state for the record your first and last names. My name is Alma Quizan. The only justification that I have being a Seventh-day Adventist, I only answer for the top authority, my belief. Do you have a follow-up question? Your belief is based upon the Word of God, and the Word of God says you should obey the laws of the land. Yeah, above the land, the law of the land is the law of God to me. And I consider the persecution as a Christian, and I'm willing to accept it. Thank you. You may, you may be seated. Is there another one? Yes, young lady, with your hand up. Please come to the microphone. We have our ways. Welcome. Please state for the record your first and last name. My name is Amy Beth Warrobe. Question has been asked. How can you, as a Seventh-day Adventist, disobey authority when the Bible itself states that you should obey the authorities? This country was found on the principle of freedom of religion, and the Sunday law is unconstitutional. So there. Very follow-up question. The Constitution was made to be amended. It has been amended. It is being amended, and it will be amended. The principle of freedom is something that's interpreted by in relative context to the people that are living at that time. And in this time, we see that religious freedom is acceptable within the context of worshiping solely on Sunday. Thank you. Do What do you have to say, Amy Beth, to Prosecutor Anil Kanda's statement? Title VII of the Civil Rights Act states that I can worship on whatever day I would like to worship, that I have the freedom of religion that is given to me. I can worship on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, and I can worship on Saturday if I would like to worship on Saturday. Thank you. You may be seated. We will keep in mind what you have just shared. 
like to call the next prosecutor to the stand, please. To the microphone. Following up on this Sabbath issue you seem to be so strong on, I have been to one of your series where you said that your Sabbath was somehow connected with God's approval. In contrast to obedience to the government and governmental approval, I'd like for you to try to explain to me how this Sabbath is somehow connected with God's approval. How is this Sabbath connected with God's approval? If you would like to answer that question, please indicate by raising your hand. Yes, we have a hand over here. Please, young lady, if you would please come to the microphone. Perhaps the pews should be wider so people could get in and out faster. State for the record your first and last name. Jan Malott. And just for the record, I'm related to all of the witnesses that have been up here. Order, please. Question has been asked. This Sabbath, how is that related to God's approval? This is a really great question. You have 90 seconds. And I... The Sabbath is a sign of who is uh, in charge of my life. And by keeping the Sabbath, I um, give glory to God. And the Bible does tell us to obey the laws of the land. But it says, as much as is possible, as long as they do not conflict with the laws of God, then we should keep those laws and to live peaceably with our fellow man. Thank you. Do you have a follow-up question? Yes, I do. Are you keeping this Sabbath to earn God's approval? No. I keep the Sabbath because I want to show that he has preeminence in my life and because I really appreciate all that he has done and is doing for my salvation and the salvation of others. I do it because I love God. Thank you. You may take your seat, please. Thank you. I'd like to call the next prosecutor to the stand, please. These people call themselves people of the book, but it seems like they pick and choose those texts they would like to believe and when it's convenient. Speak into the microphone, please. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to pick and choose the text they want to believe. That's better, thank you. And I would like someone to defend this text in Luke 630, because it seems to be ridiculous. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Uh, I don't see them practicing this. It seems like whenever I take something from them, they want it back. Sir, it's better if you stand and have the microphone between you and me. Then you, that's better. Yes, thank you. All right, so could you restate the question, please? (laughs) Thank you. 
the question is, why does he, do these people pick and choose the text they find convenient and ignore some of the texts that are very clear? Thank you. So he is claiming that some of you ignore texts in the Bible and you pick only the ones you like. If you would like to defend yourself, please raise your hand as to why you pick and choose the texts that you want from the Bible. I see a hand back there. Please come to the microphone. Thank you. Don't you like the way she makes her way down here very rapidly? Thank you. She, she, she has something. Let's see what it is. State for, your, for the record your first and last name, please. Lisa Eccles. Um, there's, there's a text in the Bible that says we all fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, none of us are perfect. And it also states that um, we're on a day-by-day journey. It says from day to day, from glory to glory, we are all in a process. So we're all learning, and we will continue to learn until, actually, we'll even learn in heaven. So maybe all of us haven't ingested and do all the practices that we will do someday in heaven, but all we can do is do our best and do it for the glory of God. Thank you. Is there a follow-up to that? Where did she learn her, her humility? Question, where did you learn your humility? By waking up every morning and looking at the cross and what Jesus did for me. It humbles me. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to call the next prosecutor to the microphone, please. Make sure the microphone is between you and me. Is this good, Judge? Yes. Okay. Uh, let's go into another direction. Uh, we've heard um, a lot of things in the Sabbath, and they seem to be pretty convinced about that. But there's another issue that uh, the Seventh-day Adventists have. You know, we go to a funeral, you expect to hear the preacher have my loved one in heaven, but you go to theirs, and I don't hear that, and I'm wondering why when this verse, Philippians 1, 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If Paul wanted, says to die is gain, isn't the person going right to heaven? Thank you. The question has been given. When a person dies, why do you believe they don't go to heaven? as has been stated. If you would like to defend your belief, please raise your hand. We have a hand up over here. Please come to the microphone. If you would, please move the microphone down so you could state your first and last name. My name is uh, Sandy Kongpan. My real name is Somrutai Kongpan. Thank you. <laughs> please uh, answer the question. Can you repeat the verse, please? Prosecutor, could you please repeat the verse? Yes. Philippians 1.21. For to me, 
To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Philippians 121? That is correct. Oh, never mind. <laughs> it is the book after Ephesians. <laughs> okay, I see it. For to me to live, to die is to gain. Okay, when you read that text, it had nothing to say about when you die. When, when you read that text, it had nothing to say when you die. We're talking about state of your spirit. Well, not yet. You paused. I thought you were finished. Well, Would I'm you just... like to continue? Yes, please. All right. I... Go ahead. Well, when we said we are people of the Word, we not to study the, the, uh, the verse only. We look at the whole chapter, and the whole chapter talking about some different things. So the, the, the chapter that I'm looking at, he talked about die to self. He not die as a physical death. He talked, uh, Paul talking about die to self. That's what I get at. Are you finished? No, uh, yes. Any questions? You have a follow-up? I want some verses that show me that a person is not going to heaven right away. This is my interpretation is that that's what's taking place. Dying to self, I don't even know what that means. What is that? Well, dying to self, if you say this verse uh, 21, it said, for me to live in Christ and die is gain. So when you live in Christ, because Christ has died for me, I will die like, just like him too. Because he did, I gain myself. Ma'am? Yes? Um, I think what he's wanting and asking for are texts from the Bible that would sustain your belief that when a person dies, they don't go straight to heaven. Okay. Can I phone a friend? <laughs> Absolutely. Honorable Judge. Yes. Yes. Uh, we do not commit illegal procedures in this courtroom. Objection sustained. You may take your seat, please. We well, have I a couple more. I know what he's to say. You may take your seat, please. Bailiff, <laughs> would you please escort this young lady to her seat? We have another hand over here. Yes, lady in the front, would you please come to the microphone? And state for the record your first, second, last, and middle names. Objection, Your Honor. We believe that the witness might be related to somebody in this courtroom. <laughs> Objection sustained. I think the last witness indicated that they're all related. <laughs> Objection overruled. Please state, or objection overruled, thank you. <laughs> Please state for the record your first and last name. Sherry Wendt. Do you have an answer for the question? I do. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 5 through 6. 
For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Thank you. Is there Isn't a follow-up? Isn't it true that in the Old Testament that may have been the case, but when Jesus broke through the grave that everybody went up with him? Would you like more time to find a defense? That's not true. <laughs> you can state that it's not true. It's not Please true. take your seat. All right, we have another hand over here. Young man, please come to the microphone. State for the record your first and last name. Caleb White. Thank you. What is your answer for the question? The question as to why people don't go to heaven after they die. You have 90 seconds. In the beginning, in Genesis 2, 7, God took man for him from the dust and breathed into his nose the breath of life. And then after they fell, in Genesis 3, I believe, 19, it says that he would return to the dust from whence he was taken and the breath of life would go back to God. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verses 13 through the end, it talks about how God, um, Paul is telling the Thessalonians that um, he doesn't want you to be ignorant about those who are sleeping. And in the Gospels, uh, Jesus refers to his friend Lazarus as he's dead, he's asleep. And those who are sleeping in the graves, they shall be resurrected, as it says in Thessalonians chapter 4, that when Jesus comes with the voice of an archangel, the dead in Christ shall arise. And those who remain shall be caught up with him. Thank you. Is there a follow-up? First Thessalonians 4, I was finally, I was looking for that. Thank you so much. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to call the next prosecutor to the microphone, please. Uh, the, the prosecution requests one of the ringleaders of the accused, Millie Brown, to please come up to the stand. <laughs> Millie, you've distinguished yourself already. Uh, please come to the microphone. And you may take your time. Looks like you have some assistance. Yes, Mr. Kanda, what is your question for Millie Brown? <clears throat> My question is this. How can a person know Jesus better? Do you understand the question? How can a person know Jesus better? Knows. Know Jesus better. question. Yes. Um, so many of these I wanted to answer. I wanted to put, in fact, I held up my hand finally because I thought, well, my I'd limp up. I Objection, Your Honor. Prosecution. I know, 90 minutes. I haven't answered the question. She, objection overruled. She has 90 seconds to answer the question. <laughs> How can we know Jesus better? Well, I'll tell you what I do. I don't know uh, whether I know him better or not than you. But every morning as I rise, I thank him for that good night's rest and for another day because, you know, I don't know how many I'll have. And I ask him to fill me with his spirit. And then as soon as I've done some toiletries, I sit down with two devotional books. Uh, and I've been really blessed. 
And then if I don't get out of that bedroom that fast, I have my Bible open to Psalms, and I try to read his Psalms every day. And then on and off during the day, I'm talking to him. And I memorize Scripture. Uh, I was already at uh, Thessalonians for you, Chris. And I was at other places for some of the other answers here today. But I was worried about the stairs. I may fall down. My 90 minutes. Well, thank you. Is there a follow-up? The prosecution has been very touched by this testimony. And some of the prosecution is requesting Bible studies. <laughs> what? They're request, the, the prosecutors are requesting Bible studies from you. Oh, Praise they, the they Lord. I would love testimony. to give you a Bible study anytime, or anyone else for that matter. Amen. Can you say amen to that church family? God has been good to us. Amen. You may take your seat. I have one last request as the judge. I have observed that many of you look a little strange. It seems as though you come from various countries and places around this globe. And I am ordering you, after the benediction, to come to the front and get a group picture if you are here in a costume. Thank you. Amen. Can you say amen, church family? Amen. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus is the only one who can take care of us. Amen? amen. And if we spend time with him each and every day, we'll come to know him and know how to speak like him. Our prayer is that God will bless you to grow deeper and deeper with him, to grow further and further in your walk with him. Let's pray, church family. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Lord, right now we just want to take a moment to thank you for being our God. The reason why we are here is because of you. The reason why we have anything is because of you. And Lord, even the reason why we have a calling is because of you. We just pray. That as we go about our day, Lord, the Sabbath and the rest of the week, may we be your hands and your feet sharing the love of God to this world. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.